and welcome to another episode of Listen with Cheryl McKay. Is there something that you're fascinated by these days that you can actually trace back, way back to your earliest years? Well, in my case, I know, for example, that cars have been kind of a, a lifelong fascination. I can remember sitting in a friend's father's rover and being delighted by just the look of it, the shape of the car, which was different than a lot of the cars around at the time, and the smell inside, the smell of that leather interior. And then matchbox cars were a big part, one of my main toys of childhood. And you know, when I think about it a bit more, I can trace perhaps my current obsession with making pottery to a really early interest in ceramics. As a child, I remember being just in love with this little earthenware painted teapot at my grandmother's house and also just enjoying digging what we called pottery clay out of the riverbank on the beach near my home, my childhood home, where we would make ashtrays and bowls and bake them in the sun and they would very soon, of course, crumble away. My guest today has been obsessed, her word, obsessed with fabric and sewing for her entire life. I first interviewed Diana Cumont for North by Northwest during the pandemic, so we were talking by phone. She told me about how she found fabric, kind of went around harvesting fabric in her childhood to make clothing for her dolls, using, for example, the back of her mother's taffeta skirt. She went into the closet and just cut a big hunk out of it, or strips cut out of the living room curtains that were hidden behind the couch when the curtains were open. Now, really not sustainable sources of fabric at all. She sewed her own clothes as a very young girl, and she went on as an adult to create a very successful line of equestrian wear that sold around the world. She's also studied extensively, learning shirt making, English tailoring, couture, clothing making. Couture means every element is made by hand. Think Chanel jacket, for example. Now, in her 70s, Diana has realized a long-time dream, and she has started her bespoke and couture clothing studio called Valiente, after her beloved horse. When I finally got to visit Diana in her home studio, I was enthralled with the fabrics and the buttons and the threads in her stash, if you will, and with her infectious enthusiasm about materials and design. She can't help herself. She'll sit down and start looking at at fabric and start thinking, oh, you could make this shape and put it with this. It's just, it's wonderful to watch. And I asked Diana what it was like for her to see clients or people just come into the studio and get swept up in everything there. Now, that's one of my favorite parts. I love it because the energy is there. And when they start touching the fabric and they see the colors and they see the possibilities of what they can do and how they can bring it together and how the buttons look on it and how it looks on them, they can drape it on them. If it samples, they get to touch it. And of course, I get excited because <laughs> I'm sort of uh, obsessed. <laughs> you do get excited. That's so much part of the fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think one of the things that makes me the happiest is when I see somebody... They touch the fabric, and maybe I'll do a little funny sketch, and I'm no artist, believe me, but I can sketch an idea. And and they start seeing it in their head, and they start seeing it on them in their mind. And you can see the excitement building, and you can see the 
the happiness. It's just like smelling spring flowers. <laughs> <laughs> it gives you that sense of, I don't know, just beauty, I guess. This has been such a passion of yours for, well, your whole life, really, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, since I was, as long as I can remember. And uh, that's the scary part. We won't go there <laughs> with all my uh, things <laughs> that I did, cutting up my mother's dress and so forth for that. But um, For your doll clothes? Yes, for my doll clothes and watching her uh, do the chores out the bedroom window while I'm trying to push the big pedal of the treadle sewing machine because I wasn't allowed to sew on it because she always said, you're going to sew your finger. No, I wouldn't. And I remember this one time I was really trying to hurry because she was coming into the house. And what did I do? I sewed my finger. No. I did. It didn't hit the bone, but it went to the side of this finger. Oh. And and But the worst part was I had to get that thread out of there because if my mom caught me with that, it would have been worse. Oh, so I had to... I had to pull the thread out, and then we always knew that if we got an infection or anything, we had to stick our finger into hot salt water. So I did that, and then I hid my finger until it more or less healed up. And then when there was a little scab, she asked me what happened, and I said, I don't know, I think one of the chickens bit me. <laughs> I think she knew I was telling the story. <laughs> it's it's so interesting to me that, look, that was just such an obsession. Like, an, like yeah. you said the word obsession, obsession for that, you. That really was a true story. <laughs> Honest to God, it was true. But no, it, it, it was even more than an obsession. We were very poor and I loved fabric and I loved color and I loved pretty things. I love to make them. I like making it. And my dad brought me home once some um, wool from having a sheep, you know, when they clipped them. Yeah. And it was all dirty and that. And he says, okay, well, this is how you clean it. And this is how you do this. And then you wash it and you do this. And and you had to put these two brushes once against the other to to make it into strings and then you would spin it and then you would weave it and you could dye it and he would tell me all this stuff and I envisioned that I could make these glorious things you know and here's you know some five six-year-old kid in some daydream and just dreaming of this beautiful fabric that you could make well I never did like weaving (laughs) (laughs) So I started sewing, and I sewed from the time I was four. Your dad was quite a maker too, wasn't he? Oh, yes, yes. My dad was the one who helped me. I guess I was six and a half, seven years old, and I made my first skirt, red pinwheel corduroy with an inverted pleat down the front, side zipper, waistband, and buttonhole. I love how you can remember that so clearly. Oh, I wore it for years because as I grew, I just grew tall and skinny. And then it, the shorts, be, the dresses got shorter and shorter. So I was, <laughs> it was good for me. Oh, yeah. And he helped me lay it out on the floor in the huh. living room. And, we, and he told me about what nap meant. How did he know so much about fabric? Uh, he worked in a woolen mill when oh. he first came from Saskatchewan into Winnipeg. Yeah. Then you, over the years, you have studied, you've taken courses, you've studied oh, yes. so intensively. Can you tell us a bit about some of the things that you've <laughs> sweated blood over in these courses? Um, shirt making was one. Mm. I took three or four uh, courses, very specific courses, just 
on shirt making. One that was 120 hours by a master shirt maker. It was brilliant. I, I learned so much and I took courses from top renowned designers and things like that in shirt making. But the one that I liked the best was from the old shirt maker that had done it for 40 years, the guy that it was a 120-hour course. And oh. it, there was only one way of doing it, and that was the right way. And it was for men's shirts. I don't make men's clothes, but you can apply that, that precision with anything, and especially with ladies' shirts and tops and jackets. And, and then also I studied couture, but I... Uh, was a tailor prior. I studied uh, British hand tailoring. So I did uh, a lot of tailoring, so coats, jackets, you know, all that thing. But again, for women. I wanted, I want to know how. Hmm. I have to know how. What do you think it is, Diana, about the how that is, is so intriguing to you? That's, that's hard. Maybe it stems from my dad. I used to say, I'll never be able to do that, you know, because look at all those fancy people, you know. He says, you know, if they can do it, why can't you do it? Hmm. He said, if you want to do something, you will do what it takes to do it. And anybody can do it. It's just that sometimes they don't want to sacrifice what it takes to get there. He says, making money is easy. Anybody can make money because they can do whatever it takes to make money. Is it right? That could be a question. Hmm. He says, if you want to learn how to do something properly, you have to study it and you have to do what it takes. And he says, what it takes is determination, dedication, and time. And you will get there. No matter what you do, if you wanted to make clocks... You start learning how to make clocks. They all tick and they all do this and you learn how to do it. And you're not going to do it overnight. Diana, you had this amazing career where you were traveling the world for a while. You were making equestrian wear that was in hot demand. It was at Saks Fifth Avenue. It was at Harrods. It was Mm -hmm. in in places around North America and Europe. How did that all happen? Well, I designed the clothes because my daughter was a rider and she was about 15 years old. And the only clothes you could get were sort of like leotards, right? Like they fit like, you know, just this polyester stuff that clung to you. So they didn't really look good on very many people. And on a 15-year-old girl, she was athletic, so she had muscles, right? And she was bulimic. So she was very, very ill. She was hospitalized in that. And the horse brought her through that. I designed clothes, riding clothes, that flattered Hmm. her. And they were made out of 96% cotton, like a jean drill, like a gabardine. And then they had esthetine or the elastic stuff. So it had stretch. And then I put little zippers in the ankles so that other girls that were riding and athletic women, women didn't like running around in those other little things that you had to wear. And so I got a lot of inquiries about it. So I made a bunch of samples and I went to a horse show in California, a world qualifier. 
and I got the names of the people who bought my stuff and um, where they shopped and what level of writing they were at. And so then I came back and I made a whole suitcase full of samples and I went down to California again and I called all these stores and I said, hi, I would like to come and show you some things that I have in my line. I'm from Canada and I was at a horse show and several clients of yours were purchasing my product and I thought you might be interested in seeing it. So I got on a train and I went down to Del Mar and I went all over the place and I went to all these tax shops and I sold it and then I started going to trade shows and I sold it and then it just went from there. It's amazing that you just took that on and, and built it from from that one pair of pants, really. $20. Huh. $20. Oh, my God. What was it like for you heading into these shops in, I don't know, Los Angeles or wherever? Terrifying. Yeah? I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that I had to do it because I, I saw what it did for my daughter. And I saw what it did for some other people that had confidence situations you know where they loved horses and they loved riding and these other things were ridiculously looking on them and I made them in pretty colors you know emerald green light mauve lemon yellow matching jackets so they could go out there and do their thing and you know when I first started people were aghast at it because it was not the colors you wore on a horse and now you look and it's every color And I laugh. It was time to change, to to allow people to ride. And when you spend that much time riding and working with a horse, you should feel good yeah. when you get up there and you show or you take a clinic or whatever it is. And you had people working in this house that we're mm-hmm. in right now, and you had people working in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. I had 11 full-time employees here in the house in two shifts, and I had uh, 41 sewers in Vancouver. Huh. I I used to fly over to Vancouver from the airport here in Victoria and get picked up, go to the factory and see what was going on and all that and fly back in time to go and pick the kids up at school in Bay. <laughs> oh, my golly. Mm-hmm. And then you were going, like you say, to trade shows mm-hmm. around the world. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I didn't know <laughs> what climate I was going into, what the time zone was, because I'd go from, uh, say, Vancouver to Las Vegas. Okay, that's pretty easy. And then down to Denver, and then maybe over to Philadelphia, and then back to Canada here in in Victoria, then over to Calgary, and then over to Europe. I did that for several years. Yeah, it took a toll, took a toll. And with a young family and that, there were choices to make. I got offered a a position to design for Anne Klein in New York Hmm. under her name. But let's face it, fashion designers, different from what people think, a dime a dozen. You do your stuff, but it's really, it's under somebody else's name and you do basic stuff. It was nice, you know, to be offered, but to give up the home and what would my family do? And, you know, I'd have to be there many, many, many weeks at a time, you know, to get runs through that it was a decision I made, uh, you know, to to give it up and, and retire from that. At that point, when you retired from all of that, mm-hmm. was it in the back of your mind that you'd ever come back to this, this work again? Never. No? No, I never thought I'd sell for anybody again. Huh. No. I, I, I guess I went into a little funk. Mm. 
I, I wasn't quite ready to quit. Right. But I needed to quit for my family. It took me about three years to come back to even walking into the studio. Hmm. Yeah, it was hard. And, and then, um, of course, as soon as I did, I was hooked. <laughs> and it was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> fabric. <laughs> you know, I just really wanted to do things that I thought were what I always wanted to do, which was the couture, mm-hmm. the, the really beautiful, the taking that tailoring that one step further, right? And, and so I thought, I'll just do it for myself, you know. But the, I, as you noticed, I have several closets and I have no more room for closets. <laughs> and I thought, well, now what am I going to do? And I just thought, after talking to my son and he was encouraging to me and so was my daughter. He says, well, why don't you? Can you? And I said, yeah. And he says, so you want to do it because? I said, I guess because I can. <laughs> And it would be fun. I would like to see women who like nice clothes like this to be able to to have nice clothes that fit and that pick their colors and not settle spending money for stuff that they wear for that function and then they really hate it or it's never going to be worn again. Or I want them to have something that they can't wait to get it back on. And they want to wear it because it's comfortable, because it... It's exactly what they wanted. They didn't settle for anything, and they didn't have to. And it comes back to, too, what you were saying about with, with the equestrian wear, that idea of, of confidence and, and body positivity. Yeah, because, phrase. okay, I sew mostly for middle-aged, let's face it. And I don't know what middle-aged is, but we'll say... There's a big span. <laughs> big span, yeah. And so, but as we age, we're not the same body as a 20-year-old anymore, not even a 30-year-old. Some may be a 40-year-old, but they got a good doctor. (laughs) (laughs) No, some are just naturally very physically beautiful. But it's quite common. The majority of us have a softness. Things don't stay in the same place. Things shift in an amazing way. They do. And, but... When you go into a store and you ask to see something nice, when you go in and they say, oh, we have something for the mature ladies down over here, (laughs) you know, and I say, I'll give you a mature lady, all right. (laughs) And we like to look nice, too. No, we don't look 20, but we look darn good for our age and we can look stylish and fashionable. And when you want to see somebody really fashionable, Go to Milan and watch how they dress on the streets while they go shopping. Holy tamale. What's it been like then, sometimes working with clients who have got their first thing ever made, uh-huh. especially for them? Oh, well, you know what? The majority of them do a spin in front of the, the mirror. And oh. I'm not kidding you, they do. Because they look at themselves and they look at the back and then they do a little twirl and they have a big smile and... Many of them wear it out of here. They're not going anywhere. They're going home. But they want to wear that dress or that pants or that top or the coat. And some of them fold it over their arm and put their other arm over it and almost hug it Uh like it's special. That's the best. 
it's the fun of the whole well, thing. Well, they too, get right? to design it. Yeah. Well, they, yes. well, they do. Partner. Yes, but it's their vision of how they want to feel. Mm. Okay. So you look at it and it's like, okay, I want to be able to move in it. I want to be comfortable. I want it to be like this. I have this little tummy. I have this big chest or I have a little bit of a hip or I'm too thin or I'm this or I'm that. Okay. So what? We take the eye away from that and we put it where it's beautiful and we make it work for you so that the eye goes exactly to your best assets and you feel great in it. And then they choose their their fabric. They choose, they tell me the designs they want. And then sometimes I'll say, well, maybe that's not quite right because that's going to accent here or that's going to pull there. But what if we do this? So I try and direct them into something that's going to be flattering mm-hmm. to them, but still take what's important to them into that design. Right. So we bring it in somewhere and somehow we make it work. And then all the little features, do you want short sleeves, long sleeves, what kind of collar and what kind of thread and do you, and they get in excited because they're part of this. This isn't something you go and say, well, I've been to six stores and I, well, I guess that'll do. Let me pay you a whole bunch of money for what I don't really want. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Diana, you have to talk about the button part of the whole process if people are having buttons. Oh, buttons are really special because they can make or break an outfit. If you take the right button and put it on the right, not just the right fabric, but the right style, because the clothing also represents the personality of the wearer. You could have the same figure, the same person, same twins. One definitely would not suit the same as the other because one's outgoing and one's really quiet and shy. So you're going to put something different on the one and something different because it reflects the attitude. And you have to take in their lifestyle, their their whole attitude. And then these buttons are part of that. Now they're like jewelry. Mm-hmm. And they can sparkle or they can be very modern. They can be glass. They can. I've had buttons made in Paris for many, many of the outfits, England, even Austria. But a good button, it's the best. <laughs> you got a little thing about buttons too. <laughs> yeah, I have because it's the whole thing. It's not, it's the thread. The thread must be right. If the thread is crappy thread, it will. Uh, start um, having little fluffies on it when mm-hmm. you wash it, and that's cheap thread because it's it's short bits all spun together. Oh. But good thread is long fibers, so you don't get that, and you have a a sheen to the stitching, and it it's just a more finished, a polished look. It's like you can have the same haircut, but what if somebody gets out of bed and doesn't comb their hair? It just doesn't look really finished, does it? Right. But so all these little things are part of the building of of a garment and um, like building a house. I'm just thinking as I'm listening to you, besides the fun of looking at the fabrics and the buttons and yeah. thinking about the style, that you're you're really understanding a person, a personality really, too, as you're working with people. I have to know their personality because I can't. I can't come up with what's going to, 
give them the right thing because it might be what they want, but what can I bring in on that to bring it to be theirs, mm. their personality? And sometimes it's as simple as an embroidered initial. Hmm. Or big pockets when they love big pockets, but nobody ever says have big pockets because they're always afraid that it's going to make them look bigger. Well, put them in a different place. Have big pockets. <laughs> you know, we can make it work, but we have to make it work for the for the person. As I say, everybody has a different look. Yeah. You know, and they like different colors. And some it might all be blues, but some like really bright blues with sparkles on them. And some like really pale blues that are soft and you know, a little bit more demure. What are you working on right now? Well, I'm working on a few things. <laughs> <laughs> but one in particular, I'm working on a uh, jumper, a black wool jumper for a lady. She's in her late 70s. Very vivacious. And it's a jumper that she can wear with a variety of different tops underneath. And we've um, done a little bit of embroidery on one pocket with some silk, a nice little trim on that. and some... It's so subtle, too. It's black on black. Yeah, right? it is. Yeah, it's black yeah. on black. Silk top stitching, almost a 60s look. It's fun, really flattering on her. And I think she'll get so much wear out of it. Yeah, fun. that's a fun one. Lots of top stitching on that one. When you say top stitching, what does that mean? It means a, a finishing, a more emphasized stitch, and I usually do it with a silk or very fine Italian cotton, depending on what somebody would like. It's sort of a back and forth, elongated stitch about two or three times, so it's it looks like a heavier stitch, mm. and then it goes forward again. And it gives that look of a saddle stitch, they used to call it, when you did the hand top stitching. And... It just adds such a beautiful finish, and there's a slight sheen to it. Mm. So the silk is just, it's a very, very fine silk. I get uh, thread from uh, Japan. Huh. It's a, it's a has a lovely finish to it. And when you put that black on black, you don't see it, and then you do. And when you do, it's like, wow, <laughs> that's a finish. Yeah. And I like things to be as beautiful on the inside as they are mm. on the outside because that part's for the wearer. So I put special attention on that because every time they put it on, they know I made that for them and there's no other who has that. I think that's special. How much fun are you having? <laughs> <laughs> I think this is probably the best time of my life. Oh, there's always stress when you get older. There's this or there's that, you know. But for me to be able to do what I absolutely love, and I know it's not a big thing in the world, you know, everybody does really important jobs in that, and I make clothes for ladies. But to me, if I make them happy, that's important. So I'm I'm happy with my small little contribution to just making things a little brighter, I guess. I, I think it's fun. And I talk them into sometimes some sparkle. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody who knows you would know that. Yes. Yeah, yes. It might be just a little bit, but it's in there. <laughs> I love working with uh, Savorsky beads and things like that. Just I don't like it all over the place, but I like little bits of it. It just adds, I don't know, just special. It's, it's fun. 
And that's my conversation with Diana Cumont. And if you'd like to get a sense of what it's like to work with Diana, what it's like to visit her in her studio, to see some of the glorious materials that she has there and the buttons, you won't believe the buttons, do check out her YouTube channel, which is Valiante Couture. And I'll put a link to that and to her Instagram account uh, and the Facebook account as well on the website, my website at CherylMcKay.com. And you can also find those links on the newsletter I send out. If you go to the website, there's a place where you can sign up. And every time I post a podcast, I send out a little newsletter just to let you know. Well, thank you so much for listening to this one. I'll be back again in about a week. Bye for now.